So two things I'd like you to do at that entrance and that entrance. We have a sign-up sheet. We'd like to have two people signed up for each hour. You can join me. I'm at the 1 a.m. Friday night or Saturday morning time slot. Uh, Join me here to pray with our Lord um, or any other time as well as grab one of those flyers um, with our schedule of all the different events for uh, the weekend. Otherwise, you can find it on our website or on my weekly email. Uh, Friday night, we have our stations and then fish dinner and then Father's first talk to begin our 40 hours devotion. And usually, you know, I've said that you can't eat fish unless you come to stations. Well, if you're going to come to the talk, you can come early for fish too. So you just have to go either to stations or the talk in order to uh, to eat that night. I've talked to Tom Kriske, who's been leading our, our fish. He says we'll have plenty of fish for everyone who wants to come. Have you seen the TV series, The Chosen? It's about Jesus. It's pretty popular. Well, there is a message that uh, their director, um, Dallas Jenkins, put out. This was on Twitter. He said, quote, People keep saying the transfiguration would be an important scene to include in the TV series. And he said, I am confused as to why. What purpose would it serve our story? End quote. Is the transfiguration important? Does it serve a purpose? Well, we could look at Jesus. Jesus thought it was important enough to be transfigured and to be witnessed by Peter, James, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are three evangelists. Three of the four evangelists wrote about the transfiguration. And the church believes it's important enough to be the gospel that is read every second Sunday of Lent. Every Lent, we hear about the transfiguration of Jesus. But why is it important, and what purpose does it actually serve? It's important that we understand the context of this miraculous event. Just before the transfiguration, Jesus revealed for the first time that he would suffer, he would be rejected, and he would be put to death. This is such an off-putting idea, unthinkable, unbelievable, that Peter actually takes Jesus aside after Jesus says this and rebukes Jesus. Just a, a friendly tip, if we're ever rebuking Jesus, we're in the wrong spiritual space, as Peter was in this moment. And Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter, calls him Satan, and says, get behind me. This was a hard message for Peter and the others to hear. That the one that they were, who thought, they believed, they were following, they believed him to be the Messiah, the king, that he was going to suffer and to die, that definitely was not in the plan that they had in mind. Jesus, being the God-man so wise, he knew how scandalous his suffering and death would be. So he had to give them an experience of his glory, his divinity. He had Moses and Elijah to testify to him and to defend the idea that the Messiah's future suffering and death was part of the plan as well, that they testified to that. Moses in the law, Elijah in the prophets. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says this about 
the transfiguration. Christ's transfiguration aims at strengthening the apostles' faith in anticipation of his passion. The ascent onto the high mountain prepares for the ascent to Calvary. So this transfiguration, this divinity, the glory of Jesus coming out from his humanity strengthens Peter, James, and John's faith. It's an event, an event that they can hold on to and remember because things are going to get difficult. Things are going to happen that they didn't expect. And the transfiguration is Jesus telling them that, yes, that was all part of the plan, too. But the transfiguration isn't just about Jesus' future glory and his path to it. The transfiguration is all about our future glory and our path to that glory as well. Like a lot of things, when we encounter Jesus, we encounter ourselves. When we look at Christ, we learn our purpose and goal. When we look at Christ, we learn our way to that goal. Because what did Jesus say to his father? He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. We are invited to share in God's glory. We are invited to share in Jesus' divinity. And the path to that glory is also the same as Christ's path to his glory. Jesus told us as much. He said, the servant is no greater than the master. And if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So yes, we are invited, we are destined to share in that glory and beatitude, but we will not experience it in its fullness here on earth. It's a future glory that we are promised. And the pathway to the glory, well, it's the same as Jesus' pathway to that glory. It's the cross. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I think we've all had some of those, what we would call mountaintop experiences, right? Those, those times in our life that we just wished would never end. Experiences of true peace and happiness. For me, it's been, you know, the time that we went to the state tournament in high school. Or scoring a goal. Those first couple seconds after scoring a goal, there's nothing like that, that feeling. And you just wish that could last forever. But maybe the top time for me, the time that I wish never would end, was in 2012 when I was in Rome for my diaconate ordination. And for this week, my whole family came over to visit, to be a part of it. The whole week was just blessed in so many ways. My family, they were part of a travel package. So during the day, they were seeing the sights of Rome and doing things that normal tourists would do, while we in the seminary had to get ready for the ordination. But in the evening, we got to sit outside and have dinner and sit on top of the hotel and relax and have cool, refreshing drinks overlooking the beauty of Rome. That Thursday, I got ordained at St. Peter's Basilica with the beautiful music in that beautiful, glorious church. Friday, I got to give my first homily and spend that day with my family. I had all my siblings who played soccer. They all brought their soccer cleats 
And at the seminary, we have a big soccer field, and we had a big pickup game of soccer out in Rome with the seminarians and my family. On Saturday, we got to go to the beach as a family, but eventually I had to bring them to the airport that Sunday morning, and they flew home, and I had to come down from that mountain. And here's the takeaway from all of this. We will have periods of happiness here on earth. We will experience times of joy, and we should welcome them, yes, enjoy them, but we cannot expect them to last forever, and we cannot get resentful or bitter when they don't last forever. That isn't what this life on earth is about. Unfortunately, we don't get to live on the mountain. We have to live down from the mountain for the most part. Our life here isn't a life of clear vision and glory, but rather a life of faith and trust in God, who is a good father. I think we get ourselves in trouble when we try to force these times of heaven, when we try to make them last longer than they're meant to. To do so goes against God's plan. Rather, these moments are foretastes of heaven, of the glory God promises to those who persevere. My friends, we have to think of heaven all day, every day. We should be thinking about the glory of heaven, that great beatitude and happiness all the time. The promise of our future glory is given to sustain us, to help us persevere. St. Paul says, quote, The suffering of this life is nothing to be compared to the glory to be revealed. Thinking, praying, reflecting on the promise of our glory to come helps us persevere in this life.